Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here. And today I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Sean Chang. He's a PhD in engineering and an investment manager at Philips Ventures. A VC portfolio of promising early stage companies includes BabyScript's Zelf Mitotomy to drive the Philips health tech vision. He's interested in early stage investment opportunities in digital health, medical devices, and imaging-based diagnostics. Prior to ventures, he drove key strategic decisions for the Philips leaderships on topics including wearables, health cloud, digital transformation, and data interoperability. Previously, Sean held positions at the Boston Consulting Group, the U.S. FDA, and NASA. Sean also serves on the board of directors of the Professional Center for Child Development Board of Advisors at the Johns Hopkins University and the advisory board of the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers Community. Sean holds his PhD in engineering from the University of Cambridge in England, where he developed expertise in medical device design, simulations, and optimizations algorithms. I'm privileged to have him here on the podcast with us today to chat about innovation and how we fund it and how we view it within today's environment. Sean, such a pleasure to have you here with us. Thanks for having me, Saul. And that was a mouthful, but... uh... Uh, thanks for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, listen, man. I mean, for for the things that you've done in your career, it's like uh, uh, the tip of the iceberg. So certainly going to be a fun talk today. Before we dive into the nitty gritty of you know the investments and and innovation, I'd love to find out more about what inspires your work in healthcare. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think ever since I can remember, you know, healthcare is one of these professions where it was always going to be around, right? So my, my father's, you know, told that to me when I was very young, you know, people are always going to get sick. And, you know, this is something that is near and dear to everyone's hearts and it's something that they worry about. So I thought, you know, at a very young age, looking at healthcare is something worthwhile doing, uh, not to say that everything else isn't because I'm now an investment, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> certainly in the healthcare side, there's always relevance and, and uh, you know, something that's uh, from an impact side, uh, very worthwhile. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, I, I would say my dad also got into a bit of, uh, you know, healthcare trouble. And, and uh, I was in consulting at the time, being a general's consultant. And having done a PhD, it focused on cardiology and, you know, the more invasive procedures within cardiology, like artificial hearts and LVADs. Mm. I felt, uh, you know, I was almost blindsided when he was, you know, going in for a quadruple bypass. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I should probably realign and, and you know, come back to the industry a little more. So something a bit more personal uh, uh, more recently. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I can appreciate that greatly, Sean. And, you know, a mixture of your dad's advice and, and life experiences, you just kind of gravitated to the, the field. And, and I mean, you've just done extraordinary work. I'd love to park a bit for a second here on the venture business and and how exactly you guys are looking at your your early stage companies and investments. What exactly are you looking to do with those and how are they adding value to the to the ecosystem? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think it, you know, there's many aspects of this and I'd love to talk, you know, ad lib about all of them, but I'll just, you know, spare you that and, and give you the the highlights here. So, from a Corporate venturing point of view, it's always been cyclical as an industry, and uh, you know, in the last ten years, we've seen a, a revival of uh, you know corporate venturing, 
with new formats and approaches. And this is uh, what we really try to you know, carve out as Phil's Ventures. So we started uh, you know, around 2016, uh, mm-hmm. and the intent was to create a team and a fund that, that can provide that early stage reconnaissance as well as know-how uh, in working with founders. And so to give you an idea of you know, what was happening in the past, our, our M&A folks was dealing with the early stage investments as well. And so they would you know, take a similar approach as an acquisition of, a, let's say, a $2 billion company to a post-money valuation of a $10 million early stage startup. And, and so that combined with a lot of the various functional corporate requirements like in privacy, security, insurance, et cetera, was really a lot for any you know, early stage company to handle. And so what we want to do is provide a center of excellence as well as a team that can go and negotiate these deals and, and streamline the process. And so we were able to reduce you know, a, a deal flow timeline from, don't quote me on this, but you know, nine months to a year down to uh, around three months. That's uh, and so that was one of the intent. Um, and the other one is just uh, you know, mutual benefit. So I think we work in a lot of unnecessary terms into the term sheets that you know, we never really exercise. And so, um, knowing that moving in the future, you know, making a judgment call on, you know, how can we help the founders succeed and, and help them scale up the company's best is sort of, uh, you know, where we really emphasize that those ventures. And I know, you know, everyone says this, but, you know, we, we try to be more founder friendly than the typical uh, CVC, which, you know, has a stereotype over the years. And so that's, I think, you know, where, where our value add would be. You know, bringing in the the resources and channels and infrastructure of uh, Philips Corporate, the mothership, but also being, you know, venture and founder friendly as well, and then we can you know sit there work together with the companies over time to help them uh, succeed for both sides. I think that's awesome, Sean. And you know, you think about a lot of the things that you mentioned, right? Like operational limitations to scale. And, you know, there's so many of them. And then there's so many blind spots to have a venture investor like Phillips behind you could really unlock a lot of opportunity and, and help you on that on that front. Sounds like you guys are definitely more more venture friendly. We've had a couple of your investor companies, companies that you've invested in on the podcast. Uh, so oh, yeah. we had a little yeah. chat beforehand, Baby Scripts and Orbita. So I'd love to hear more about, you know, the the focus and maybe chat with us about some of the ones you guys have invested in and, and how you see the, the future of those. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we invest uh, with uh, a few intentions. So we have a, a digital health fund called uh, Philips Health Technology Ventures. And you know, that is really looking at, um, you know, looking forwards, right? So mm-hmm. we're not sort of anchoring in any specific business, but it's a capability or some sort of future area that we'd like to explore a little more. So even though it's going to be straight down the fairway in terms of our corporate strategy, there could be something around the corner that, that I, I see you know, um, uh, as something interesting. So we come and invest. And you know, I see an analogy would be, you know, Philips is going to be a giant tanker, right? So we, we're $20 billion revenue and 80,000 employees. It's not going to be able to pivot and innovate as quickly as uh, these early stage companies. So we're looking for those jet skis out there that can sort of look, you know, uh, one way or the other to help our, our uh, you know, giant tanker steer. And so 
you know, you mentioned baby scripts and Orbita are two that, um, that are in that you know, area. So maybe just to speak a bit about baby scripts, um, you know, they, they fulfill a area that is B2B. They, they sell to OB Guide as well as uh, health systems. And the Phyllis brand, which includes Avent um, and, and some of the other mother and child care products are, are really selling to consumer. And we really want to be able to, you know, as we become a, a health tech company, bridge the gap between the consumer side and the professional side, mm-hmm. which has really been the theme for the last, um, you know, five years in terms of our transformation as we, you know, sold off lighting assets uh, and then uh, became a, a health tech company. We see our advantage as knowing the consumer side as well as the professional side as we're selling to the hospital with the radiology equipment, the patient monitoring, as well as some of the uh, more informatics and IT assets too. You know, that really is, you know, our competitive advantage and, and you know, why I can sleep at night, I guess, you know, working for Philips, you know, versus a, a, a well-capitalized company like uh, Apple or, or mm-hmm. Google, which is, you know, just coming from the tech side and trying to break into healthcare. And so, I think you know, that's that's an advantage of ours, and, and so where, where Baby Scripts fits is you know they sort of help us in terms of that jet ski look around the corner and and what what folks are doing in the professional hospital and health system side of OB guide uh, that we we don't play but we have some natural rights to win, and so what we can't do is you know set our you know consumer business and go say go try out this business model, and if it doesn't work out then. Uh, we we lose a, a lot of money, right? So maybe Scratch can help us as a leading indicator and try out these business models to see if it works and if it works out and it helps us both on the clinical side, obviously, with their expertise, but also, I, I mean, you know, many folks don't think about it, but you know, the business model side, right? So does the SaaS model work more than reimbursement? And does a you know single one-off payment work better than, I don't know, managed equipment services? So these are all questions that we can answer quite you know, cost efficiently with uh, venture investments. And the other company, Orbita, is of a similar light, but but slightly different in that voice and conversational AI is a very new field. And, and, you know, you guys probably talked about this in that podcast with Bill, but this is an emerging area even more so within healthcare. And so I think Philips has rightly identified this in that we're seeing a lot of use cases internally uh, both on the consumer and the healthcare side. And I think, you know, it's only been accelerated and catalyzed by COVID where, you know, contactless control and contactless uh, communications is uh, way more important now. And so Orbita is really that leading indicator uh, within the voice environment where we can you know, learn from them and, and them dealing with uh, various uh, um, uh, constituents of healthcare. So they sell to health systems as well as uh, industry bodies and also, um, you know, uh, med tech firms like us. And so they see pretty much everything and is the leading edge or, or the cutting edge, really, of, uh, you know, voice within healthcare. And so, you know, when we look at them, we say, well, you know, we're not going to go and hire 30 natural language processing voice and uh, integration PhDs uh, that are, you know, very adept at working with Amazon, Alexa, Google Home. But we can invest in a company like Orbit that has those capabilities yeah. uh, and at the same time help us kick the can down the road so we're not committing to specifically Amazon for all use cases or Google for all use cases because um, you, uh, you have very different needs. And so 
I think I read a study maybe maybe about a year ago where you know they, they compared a Google Voice algorithm with a Amazon Alexa algorithm around uh-huh. identification of medication. And so oh, yeah? um, and I forget I forget sort of which which one was more accurate or not, but you know, one of them was ninety seven percent accuracy in identification of medicine when a normal person, you know, speaks the, the medical names which are pretty, you know, jargon. I can't even pronounce them. Uh, and then the other one was around fifty seven or, or around sixty percent. Wow, and that's so a big difference. When uh, you know, when Phillips, if you look at, you know, if we want to use a, a algorithm, you know, to, to do medication management using voice, we wouldn't want to be trapped with that sixty percent accuracy one. Totally. Right? And so so Orbit allows that flexibility where we can pick and choose the devices as well as the algorithms to, to go and uh, achieve what we want under the best outcomes. Sean, I love the the analogy of the tanker and the jet skis. And yep. you know, <laughs> that's so great. Like, I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that, right? You guys are this $20 billion company, 80,000 employees, and you're looking for those jet skis to see around the corner in a cost-efficient manner. Wow. And then, and then you, you, you think about Orbita, right? I mean, they're the master of just kind of aggregating this technology to get you guys the broad view, the horizon of voice. I mean, I think that was a great investment, man. Congrats on, on, on that to you guys, but also to Bill and team over at Orbita, right? I mean, it's going to be a big benefit for them to have you guys as a partner. Yeah, we're certainly excited. And, um, as uh, many will say, you know, the, the deals, the investment deal is just the first step in a long relationship. Uh, you know, we just got married and, you know, we're in the honeymoon period right now, but there's a lot of work to be done. So we're, we're very excited to, to move forward with that company. That's great. And so, Sean, tell us a little bit more about how the work you guys do. I mean, you, you guys kicked off the venture, Phillips Ventures in 2016. So it's been, you know, four years. Tell us how some of the work that's been done has improved either outcomes or business models. And it could be for your customers. It could be for the companies you invest in or patients. Like happy to, happy to dive in wherever you want to focus there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, you know, we carved out the, the ventures team and, and function to serve three purposes and it's evolved over time. So. Mm-hmm. You know, today we invest out of the digital health fund at the corporate level. We support our businesses in executing deals at their level, which you know they would take ownership ultimately. But we help them with that venture-friendly execution, and uh, you know those deals range from you know a, a convertible note with a couple hundred k to tens of millions of dollars. And then uh, the third area we we uh, you know invest in is um, other uh, VC funds that help us provide a, a look into the, the local geographical um, uh, pipelines and provide those insights at a broad macro level as well. And so we're maintaining those relationships. And, and so I think, you know, moving forwards where we really want to focus is uh, a few things. So basically, one area is obviously uh, helping our businesses fulfill and, and those, you know, range from you know, the Sonicare toothbrushes and how, how uh, you know, that business is continuing to innovate, Norelco shavers, coffee machines, and, and uh, to some extent, kitchen appliances as well. And then on the professional side, patient monitoring, radiology, you know, there's very specific innovations in those areas that, yes. that we're, we're on the lookout for. 
but also understanding, you know, at the corporate level, as we combine and, and uh, merge consumer and healthcare, which I think is a trend that's happening uh, in the broader industry in any case, what are those new um, business models or ways of working or connecting the gaps that are, are helpful for us? And so we've learned a, quite a bit and, and uh, maybe just you know, provide a couple of examples where one of our portfolio companies can uh, you know, speak to and this is ironic, and uh, you know, I don't know if I should be saying this on a podcast, but the, the, the portfolio companies actually have a lot more customer insights than Philips as a big company. And so they actually provide a lot of the cutting-edge customer feedback in that you know, Philips shouldn't be selling the large equipments anymore because you know, customers are more used to the managed equipment service contracts or, or more subscription-based ones where you know, let's sign a 10-year $10 million contract for a company to take care of all of the imaging equipment needs of that hospital system versus, you know, buying a, a MRI machine every, you know, five years at $5 million, right? right? And so it's a, you know, CapEx cost over the 10-year period, the same for the health system, but then, you know, spread out across, you know, OPEX off of the uh, hospital P&L over time, and then they get everything taken care of anyway. And so, you know, we're not sort of, in theory, losing that much money uh, or losing any money at all um, on the PNL on the Philips side, but also getting more of what's needed for the customer. And so uh, those insights are, are where, you know, we look to these uh, companies that are experimenting and uh, basically doing the, the work for the uh, voice of the customer. So that's one example. And I think on the on the other side, um, you know, the we sit on the boards of these companies, and uh, we we like to take an active role and uh, you know work with the founders uh, and be present and prepare for these board meetings and and you know contribute value. Uh, in doing so, you know, there's other board members as well, you know, representing health systems, financial VCs, as well as uh, other KOLs within the healthcare industry. And these conversations are really revealing around. Um, you know, what's going on in the industry. So, you know, one, one, uh, for one of the companies, uh, board meetings, you know, the, there was a, a consultant within the healthcare industry that was seeing during the COVID crisis, you know, how much financial um, uh, illiquidity is becoming an issue within the hospital systems and, uh, you know, what the hospitals are doing in reaction to that. That's able to help us really, uh, you know, get those insights uh, very quickly and then propagate that back to Philips internal for us to project our next quarters uh, and, and how they'll behave. So, you know, I think that's also useful in a way. Um, we're learning a lot and we're still coming along even four years in, in terms of, uh, you know, how we, you know, derive value. But I think it's, you know, working in the right direction. I think at some point, uh, you know, some of these companies will become potential acquisition targets. Uh, and this is, yes. you know, speculative, um, um, you know, me personally. But uh, at this time, it's a lot of, uh, you know, these relationships, uh, transfer of insights and knowledge that, that would have, uh, you know, been a lot more expensive internally. So my personal observation is that for every dollar that these early stage companies spend, Phillips will have to spend 5 to $10 internally to do it. And so this is where external innovation is really, really key and really helpful. And to add on top of that, we spend 
you know, a dollar on investing in this company um, externally. And if we do our jobs, you know, that dollar comes back. So it's really not spending much at all. There's also a force multiplier here, right? So you provide, let's say, of a $10 million Series A round, uh, $2 million. The other $8 million is coming from other, you know, funding bodies, but you're getting the benefit of that entire $10 million, right? So from an innovation lens and an R&D budget lens, you're spending, you know, a dollar and getting five back as well. So it's a force multiplier. And so it's, you know, doubly good in, in theory. And this is why I think, you know, corporate venturing is so exciting and, you know, where we can really make some inroads the next few years. Man, that is very exciting. I mean, just thinking about the day-to-day, Sean, that you, you know, that you spend in, in these board meetings, you know, getting some of these insights that you could then share with Phillips to improve business model innovation. I mean, it is just, that's, this is the way to go. You know, I think you guys, I think you guys have a really nice structure. And so once you, once you derive these insights, then it's just, it's up to the business units, right? To, to say, how do we, how do we implement what we know now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we are a 80,000 person company. So communicating that back is, you know, one of the challenges that we, we have to deal with. Yeah. I think there's plenty of knowledge that, that we can write down on slides or, or do uh, internal podcasts or, or, or modules and videos. And that's in the works now. We even thought about, you know, like example is Mitonomy is, a, you know, they have a professional video creation crew. So, you know, can we leverage those assets to actually go and do this? And so um, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's that's a part that we're still trying to uh, educate, mm-hmm. and, and you know, understandably, you know, our our executives on, on the mothership are are worried about different set of priorities than the venture side, right? So it's not news that a publicly traded company has you know quarterly results uh, pressures, and so. The, the mothership tends to sometimes become more short-sighted, right? Sure. Especially on the business and sales side because they're yep. going to make their numbers and everything. Yep. Um, and R&D is a little, slightly longer-sighted. Um, you know, Ventures is even more far-sighted, right? So there needs to be a lot of reminders in, and communications around uh, you know, we're doing this for the three to five year or even five to ten year horizon here. And so to ask for quarterly returns um, is slightly going to be difficult. Uh, and so those are the messages that we have to continue toting as a corporate venture capital. And I'm sure my colleagues in the other CVCs uh, are, are going to be nodding their heads now if they're here to hear this. So, <laughs> I'm sure they um, are. <laughs> like, yep, <so>. yep. <laughs> Preach on, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's the, and that's the challenge, right? But it's um, as a strategic company, and I mean, Philips is very forward thinking. You have to make those bets. You know, if you're going to be in it for the long haul, uh, you have to make those long-term bets. And so, as you reflect on the last four years, Sean, what, what would you say is is one of the setbacks you've seen or experienced that has made you guys even better? I think it's about a balance, and this is probably a more specific explanation of what I just talked about. But it's about okay. a balance of you know satisfying internal stakeholders and proving out the commercial transfer of our investments and then leaving the companies to do uh, what's right for the market. And so, you know, I think inherently as a, a, a big corporate, we will have our own internal ecosystem. And so 
it becomes sometimes an echo chamber. You know, I, I'm going to borrow a term from the politics side of the things uh, where you know, we, we tell ourselves what we want and what the customer wants. And the early stage companies in our portfolio, as well as those you know, LP positions and funds, are really listening to the customers. And so we have to sort of listen to the venture side more and, and hear the market's voice more. And we like to say that we're actually the, the only markets driven sort of decision making within Philips. I, I'm sure that's not true, but it's sort of, you know, a, a set for emphasis. But yeah. um, we'd like to hear what, where the market's going instead of uh, sort of the internal ecosystem and the echo chamber. And so I think the lesson here is basically we have to strike a balance between the two. And sometimes the prioritization, the optimization where we put our energy are going to be split. And so, you know, I think it's being able to balance that, which is a really, really difficult thing um, if you're a, a you know, CVC manager. And uh, we, we try our best to do that. And I think, you know, we, we have a lot to work for in the future. But, you know, that's one thing. And the other is, you know, reacting to the industry a little more. And I think there's two parts to this. I truly believe that, that CVC as a, a sort of, uh, you know, investment class has a role within the innovation and venture ecosystem that can help move the needle in the current sort of climate. Venture capital argumentatively comes from CVC, right? So in the, the number of companies in Silicon Valley you know, had external R&D arms that then turned into you know, the first VCs. You know, I think we still can be relevant again in a different way where you know, our strategic needs and insights can really fund a type of company that is not always going to be adhering to the financial returns of uh, you know financially driven VC funds, where you know you know they'll have a sort of three to five x return within three to five years. Uh, you know you know we're we could be a little more patient than that, right? And we say, well, a three to five x return in, in seven years could be also a potential for us. That's not to say we're not financially driven, but certainly a strategic angle helps the industry move along where it's not always about money, but uh, it, it is sometimes about money. Uh, so that's the second area. And I think you know, the strategic angle is, is very helpful there. And, and you know, the third point, or maybe 2B, is yeah. the way that the industry is moving now is more towards later stage companies. And that's certainly the truth within healthcare. And so Especially I do worry device. about the, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do worry about the seat stage companies these days. So mm -hmm. pre-COVID, it was already a, a trend where investments are moving towards uh, Series A and B. And admittedly, we've actually moved towards that as well. But I think to fill that sort of valley of death between an internal or, or, or pet project and an actual Series A investment, uh, we can really do a lot there as well. So uh, you know, I'd like to focus a bit more there and, and also uh, perhaps not with money all the time with every company, but certainly with uh, relationships with founders and helping them navigate that until they get to the Series A where we we come in and invest. Yeah. No, some great learnings there, Sean. I appreciate you sharing. And and certainly um, the learnings will continue, right? And and um, you guys have made some really neat investments. I feel like uh, you'll, you're definitely doing a fantastic job in the space. You know, uh, getting close to the end here. So I'm curious, Sean, do you have any books that you re would recommend to, to us? Uh, I would say... <laughs> Uh, this might be out of left field, but uh, I love left never, field. Never, never <laughs> split on, the baby. difference. Um, by uh, 
Is it Scott Bolt? Oh, well, so what was the name of the book again? Never split the difference. So oh, it, never he, split he the takes difference. A, so he takes a very um, different and uh, unconventional view to negotiations. And I don't want to sort of spoil things, uh, but, you know, he, he says, was a hostage you know, negotiator. Right? Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So over the decades of hostage negotiation, you tend to have a framework of uh, decision making under high pressure. And, and uh, you know, he makes the case that everyone can win. And, uh, you know, no, is just the start, right? You got to have that conversation. And, and it's not about a, a win-lose. It's about, you know, what the other side wants and how you can work to actually satisfy both of your, your, your requirements. And Man, so, you know, I think it's, it's way more practical than the, you know, and he sort of says it in the preamble of the book, but, you know, than the frameworks and the fatness and all of that stuff that you learn uh, in college mm-hmm. and, and uh, grad school and, and uh, in his case, Harvard. And so uh, highly recommend that one. He, he pro- provides a couple of frameworks coming out of it that I sometimes use during negotiations, during the deals as well. Uh, not to mention sort of, you know, getting the new lease on a car uh, that's been useful. So highly <laughs> recommend that one. And that gets applicable anywhere, right? Even with yeah. your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you know, I uh I love that book. Sean, I, I'm so glad you brought it up. It's been a while since I've read it. Listeners, if you have not had a chance to read Never Split the Difference, read it. It's so good. And I promise you that you probably get like a 20 times return on your investment at the very least <laughs> within like a month if you if you apply it. Um yeah, Sean, what a great recommendation. Um folks, go go to outcomesrocket.health. And in the search bar, type in Phillips or type in Sean Cheng and you'll find our interview with uh, Sean and the full transcript as well as links to the show notes uh, and, and everything else that, that we've discussed as resources here on the podcast. Sean, let's bring it home. Share with us a closing thought and then the best place for the listeners could get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation. Sure. Um, perhaps an open-ended one because of the, the environment we're in, but, but hopefully maybe uh, you know, if listeners hear this podcast five years down the road, they can judge me on whether you know, this has been the true or not. But as we've come out of COVID and, and uh, you know, even entering COVID and you know, health systems are, are struggling financially, you know, and a lot of them are, are sort of break-even or, or a little bit loss-making um, as well. Uh, and COVID's probably exacerbated that. The construct of the hospital and health system, you know, I, I foresee changing more rapidly now. And so, you know, this is you know, all driven by a lot of our values at Phillips, including the quadruple aim, which is, you know, patient satisfaction, staff experience, uh, satisfaction, uh, lowering costs, and improving outcomes. But it's really not you know, if we're honest, uh, it, you know, been accelerating uh, in terms of that value-based healthcare metrics, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I think coming out of this, that's going to accelerate. And, and I think the the construct of hospital systems as it stands today will change, you know, whether that's going to be a lot of consolidation to larger bodies or, you know, dare I say, even sort of nationalizing parts of that is uh, TBD. But I, I see that as changing. And there's opportunity for innovation in, in that area. Uh, you know, we're already seeing payers uh, focusing more and more on direct-to-consumer and, uh, you know, these boring, large, bulky insurance companies trying to understand, uh, you know, focus groups, right? And what, what, what do the consumers want? Can we, how, how can we, you know, get in touch with them? So I think those are the areas that are 
are going to be very, very interesting moving forwards. And I, I'm excited about that. So, so I you know, just to think about that, and, and you know, when we invest, you know, we're we're always looking for obviously what's happening in the next three to five years. And so, if you're a founder entrepreneur out there, I would focus on that direction, and then meet the need and meet the funding uh, VCs in a couple of years when you're ready for the seed or Series A. Of course, let's see if I'm wrong or not. <laughs> but in any case, <laughs> you can uh, send the feedback uh, to me uh, uh, at Sean.Chain at phillips.com so that's uh, s-e-a-n dot c-h-e-n-g at p-h-i-l-i-p-s dot com and uh feel free to uh you know provide feedback and i'm happy to chat more thank you very much Saul. oh my pleasure sean uh so glad we could do this and uh definitely looking forward to staying in touch thanks again thank you 